Welcome all to the Swim Dudes podcast, where Liam and I talk about everything circulating the swimming world with special guests. This podcast is available to stream on Spotify, iTunes, and is now found on Google+. Make sure you go check us out on Instagram at the Swim Dudes for more content. Hope you enjoy. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode eight of The Swim Dudes with Liam and Seth. Today, we welcome John Hopkins University alum and head coach Scott Armstrong onto the podcast. He has had coaching stints at North Baltimore Aquatic Club, Stanford, as well as the U.S. national team. He's Liam, also part I, of the... Can I... I got to stop you. It's Johns Hopkins. There's an S. Excuse me. I, I saw that right as <laughs> that's a, that's a hard one. That's like, I'm an alum, so I graduated in 03, so I've been, this is like a chip on every Hopkins, Hopkins <laughs> person's shoulder. It's John's with an S. It, it was John's Hopkins is the name of the guy who bequests the money to start the school, and he was named with his mother's maiden name. So his mother was Mary John's. So, okay. Anyway, interesting. Sorry. That's interesting. No, I meant no disrespect, but. No, no, I know um, you didn't. It, it's one of those. It's, it's one a of those, tongue like, twister. It's a, it's a, uh, you know, one of those like uh, fingernails on the chalkboard for. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. I feel that. But you know, being part of the Johns Hopkins Hall of Fame, 18-time NCAA D3 All-American and NCAA record holder, um, it's an honor to have you on today. So thank you. Right, thank you. So one of the first things that we want to get into is your story behind NCAA's being canceled, coronavirus coming in. Um, what quarantine life looks like for you, just that background and what you went through with your team initially when the, when the bad news came in. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, all week, obviously we were hearing different stories and and different things from different teams and different coaches. And, um, you know, there was a lot of questioning whether it was going to happen or not. Um, We've got a, a really, really supportive, prominent alum who lives in Greensboro. And so we were on the phone with him hearing about how things were going down there. And, um, you know, we honestly thought it was going to happen um, right up until it was canceled. The, the reasons being because, you know, the, the, the basketball tournament, the mm-hmm. March Madness was supposed to be going on literally in the same parking lot. Um, and so we figured there's no way that was being canceled. And we also just kept saying, well, you know what, we're going to be in a, you know, million gallons of disinfectant we should be fine (laughs) was kind of our refrain but I think you know in retrospect we look back on it and like obviously we were giving ourselves some false hope um but when it when it finally came down and you know we we got the call from our athletic director first actually uh, we actually pulled out prior to uh it being canceled Mm -hmm. um and you know I I uh in in those moments so I was, I was a junior in college during 9-11 mm-hmm. uh, in, in here at Hopkins, on this campus, in this place. Um, and so it was very surreal to be going through a, a real uh, inflection point in our history, um, you know, at the, at the same place. <laughs> and, and what I said to the team um, at the time, you know, this, this felt even then much, much bigger, much bigger deal than 9-11 was. Um, and, you know, 
these inflection points in our history, this, this is what I told the team, mm -hmm. these inflection points in, in our history, um, they shape and change a lot uh, for a very long time. Um, the decisions that, that we're all gonna make going forward, both you know, personally, economically, politically, um, it's, it's gonna, the, the ripple effect is gonna last for a long time. And if you think back, um, you know, there's, there's World War II, and the Great Depression, and you have a group of people who are, you know, basically 18 to 22 years old during that time period that end up really being those that that reshape our world. Um, because you know, you you guys are perfect examples. You've got, you know, 40 years, 45 years of your working life ahead of you, and this is going to affect who you are in a major mm -hmm. way, how you respond to. You know, every challenge and everything in the rest of your life. Um, likewise, World War II did, you know, and we had a, a generation of people like Waste Not, Want Not. And then, you know, yeah, Vietnam definitely had a, a, an effect on people my, my folks' age, right? Mm -hmm. People who are in their, their late 60s, early 70s now, um, you know, who were being drafted and, and going over to, to, you know, another country for war. Um, and... Uh, okay. Sorry, I got, got on a different internet here. Oh, so no, you're fine. It's better. Um, oh, sorry about that. But oh, um, I'm not sure where, where I cut out there. Um, but, but basically, I guess the, that my, my point is that, you know, you guys are going to be in a position to really shape this future in a, in a major way because mm -hmm. you're going to have a lot more time to shape this future. Um, and, you know, I, I truly believe that, uh, you know, swimmers are the most resilient of any athlete and athletes are the most resilient of any student group we can think of. I mean, if you think about what you go through on a daily basis, I mean, going to a, a, a great school like Hope or Johns Hopkins is stressful enough by itself. Now let's add in morning practice. Let's add in the delayed gratification of, you know, our sport is set up around that meet at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. We really yeah, yeah, evaluate sure. our success based on that. You know, we are a wildly resilient group. Um, and, and when we see, you know, going forward, you guys are my answer. You're why I'm not scared. Um, you know, you're why I know that, that we're all going to be fine because your generation and now you're no longer, we're no longer millennials, right? You guys are our Generation Z. Um, and there's a lot of uh, factors to Generation Z that, that I really believe in. Um, and I really like you guys. So I think that, I think that I'm pretty glad that your generation um, is, is going to be in charge for a long period of time. And that's, that's the message I said to the team. You know, I said, take it in, guys. You know, stay aware of what's going on. Keep your head up. Don't, don't bury your head in the sand because this is going to shape and change you. And you are going to shape and change the, the course of this world because of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's a really interesting perspective. I'm, uh, I mean, it makes me feel good that you have that, <laughs> that feeling about our generation because there's always the stigma of we're on our phones all the time. We're not, yeah. not going to excel the society. But yeah, thank yeah, you very much. Well, I mean, it's, <laughs> I, yeah, we, you, you hear that and you see that. And that's, that's just the, rea the reality is that, you know, this thing is a part of our life now, right? Yeah. And, uh -huh. yeah is I'm, I'm 40 years old. I just turned 40 this year. And, and this, this device to me, this is, this is, 
I, I can take it or leave it. You know, mm -hmm. like it, it, I don't need this. If I forget it at home, it's not that big of a deal. Um, you know, but I believe that you guys view. And so when I see someone on this thing, um, it can irritate me. It's like, put that down, engage with the world. Mm -hmm. What are you doing? Like, that's not, but for you guys, it's something entirely different, right? I didn't get one of these until I was 32 years old, a smartphone. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, so it's not, it, it just is different for me. Mm -hmm. Whereas for you guys, I mean, you've had, how old were you guys when you got your, your first smartphone? Uh, I think I was in seventh or eighth grade. Yeah, like ninth grade, eighth, ninth grade. Yeah, so you guys were like in your early teens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, mid, mid, early teens. And so if you think about it, it's like, Liam, I see you're wearing glasses. It's like a pair of glasses. <laughs> yeah. It's a, like you absolutely, I mean, imagine going through your day without your glasses. Yeah. So that's what this is for you guys. And so when I see you guys on this, it's like, you're, you're not, you're, you are engaging with your world through this. Mm -hmm. um, this is an essential tool because it's been an essential tool for such a large portion of your life, right? So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a stigma that I think is pretty unfair um, to you guys. Yeah, for sure. So moving on, um, you've had a lot of different coaching experiences, a lot of, I mean, your whole life has been kind of revolved around swimming. What were some yeah. of the highlights and lowlights of coaching at Stanford? What prompted you to go over to California for that and then move back eventually to Maryland? Uh, yeah, so um, I'll backtrack a little bit farther. Um, I was coaching at North Baltimore Aquatic Club. Mm -hmm. um, I was the associate head coach. Um, basically, uh, Bob Bowman had just come back from Michigan um, and was coaching the postgrads. Um, Paul Yetter had just left and went to Auburn. He got a short stop in Auburn before starting T2 down in Florida. Um, he's now back at NBAC. Um, but so there was a, a couple-year window in there where really I was in charge of the 18 and under program, and Bob was in charge of the postgrad program. Um, and... You know, I, I just was, there was just so much going on and, and there were times where, you know, we were having some disputes about how we thought things should be run. Um, and I didn't have the, the power to do anything about it. Um, and my name was still on everything. So, so I was in a, in a real catch 22. Um, I was also trying to hold a lot of uh, relationships together between my mentors that were kind of falling apart a little bit. Um, my mentors relationships were falling apart and I was trying to hold that together and um, we just got to a, a breaking point where I said you know I'm gonna have to leave um, so we actually we left and we lived in the car for a year my wife and I with our two dogs um, and and we uh, we've got a Honda Element with a, a pop top on it that looks like a you know it's like one of those old VW vans yeah uh -huh. so there's a bed up top and we rebuilt the inside and lived in a Honda Element for a year and you know it was awesome. I highly <laughs> recommend it to everybody. It was really great. Um, you know, lived with my grandfather for a month. Um, he just turned 98 yesterday. It's wow. Um, but so, you know, I got to live with him for, for, for a month. We lived with my wife's grandmother for a month. Um, we toured the national parks. We basically just went camping. Camping yeah. and rock climbing and boating. And we just had a great time. Um, but I knew at the end of that, because I was associate head coach at NBAC, that I would have options. Uh -huh. um, would know that you know we would be able to get a job it wouldn't be in my thinking it wasn't going to be as good as you know associate head coach at North Baltimore um, and as I started engaging in that process 
Um, USA Swimming hired me for Olympic trials as a consultant for, for athletes. And then um, through that I contact, and then all of a sudden Ted Knapp called me up from Stanford and said, I really want you to apply. Um, I, I have, I had never intended, I never even dreamed that, that Stanford would be calling me, let alone me calling them. Yeah. Um, and so uh, Ted and I got to know each other a bit. Um, it was a really good fit. Um, he is a wonderful man. Um, I, I'm, I'm honored to call him a friend. Um, but yeah, so Ted hired me to go out there. Um, you know, a lot of my coaching experience up to that date at North Baltimore was with distance swimmers, 400 IMers. You know, just like think about the, the, Every swimmer you've ever heard of from North Baltimore was probably an IMer, probably very well-rounded. Um, but that's, I think, appropriate when you're dealing with 18 and unders. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to follow that kind of model. Um, and Ted's coaching experience had been with sprinters. So he was looking for someone who was going to come in. Um, I was also Chase Kalish's coach from 13 to 18 years old. Um, and so Chase was getting ready to go to Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, he, David Nolan was finishing his freshman year at Stanford and Ted was saying, well, who do I need to bring in to really be able to help, you know, have some experience to coach David that's going to fit as an assistant coach and fit other aspects of this program. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how it happened. I mean, it was like, it, it happened really fast. It was very shocking to me. And I spent four years pinching myself. Um, how, how was I the assistant coach at um, at Stanford. And, you know, really Ted, God bless him. He, he gave me free reign over the, the 200 and up swimmers. So basically anyone who swam a 200 at all, um, was, was in my group. I had about 12 swimmers and, um, it was really special. It was great. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, the reality is just the, the financials of living in the Bay area. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't afford to live there unless you have a, a very unique situation. Um, and for us, um, we, we had both of, both my kids were born out there. Um, and we basically had like one more year worth of life savings that we could have lasted. Um, and so, you know, we just started looking at head coaching positions. Um, Ted was always supportive of me. There was never any need. I, I didn't need to leave. Um, but you know, Hopkins became available and George asked me to apply. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't intend to. Uh, but George really, George Kennedy, the head coach at Hawkins, mm. who retired, who was my coach. Um, yeah, but so, so Stanford, I mean, the whole thing was a highlight. It yeah. was really great. Um, you know, it was, it was tough. Some of, those, some of those things were really tough. You know what? One of the pieces that I think uh, when you look at the, the seven or eight years that, that Ted was a head coach, that very first year, we had both medley relays disqualify at NCAAs. Um, up to that point, Stanford hadn't finished lower than I think like fourth or fifth place at NCAAs for, you know, whatever it was, like 20 years in a row. And uh, DQing those two relays dropped us from third to sixth. Uh-huh. Um, and that was a real gut punch. That was really hard. Um, and I think that that cost, I think that cost Ted and I some buy-in from the team and from the alumni um, just right there. And it's amazing to look at it and think that all, you know, that all turned on a dime um, from those, those two DQs. And one of those two DQs was legitimate. I mean, it was a false start. Um, the other one, it's, it's one of those, like, you know, it's really tough. Mm-hmm. 
to call that a disqualification. And now to look back and say, like, look what the the the, the following couple years looked like, and it's it wasn't the heyday. Um, and certainly, uh, you know, Dan's got a, a hole to dig out of there right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, David Nolan setting the American record was a, was pretty awesome. Um, you know, that first year, Tom Kramer, uh, he got, um, I think he was second or third in the 200 freestyle as a freshman. Mm-hmm. And he broke a 20 plus year old mag record um, that was previously held by Troy Dalby. And, and uh, Tom broke that. That was pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, you know, see an 18 year old go 133. Oh, you see that's, that's the race where, uh, Jao DeLuca won and he grabs the, the, the bar on the, on the block and, and like claps his feet up in the air after he wins. And, and yet Joao and, and Tom are right next to each other. They're in lane one and two. Um, that was pretty cool. And, um, yeah, there was a lot of other really good swims in there. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of fun too, and, and a lot of really good guys. Um, you know, I keep in touch with with almost all of them. I was actually talking to one of them last night, Matt Anderson, who mm-hmm. was a really good breaststroker. He just graduated this year, um, maybe maybe last year. Um, but Matt's a Matt's a really good guy. He's looking mm-hmm. at med schools and figured, well, I should call someone <laughs> in med schools. Yeah. So building off of that. What do you think was one of your skills that popped out in um, making you a more desirable pick for, you know, these, these great opportunities that you had? And then building off of that, um, what would you say is your favorite D1 or D3 coaching? Um, so I – I think that the, the, the skills that I have, I don't think there's anything unique. Um, the, the main thing is that I will outwork you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was, that was how I was as an athlete as well. I mean, mm-hmm. I was miler and I, I wasn't the particularly talented miler, but there was no possible way we were leaving the facility without me knowing in my heart that I outworked you. Um, and, and, you know, so that kind of carried over into, into my coaching. I think, you know, I've got kids now, so, so there's a lot of different kind of balancing act mm-hmm. that goes on with that. Um, but, but that was the biggest thing. I mean, I got my first job at, at North Baltimore Aquatic Club because I swam the, the summer between my junior and senior year. I trained with, uh, with Bob as my coach. Um, Michael Phelps was 16 or 17 that summer. Um, he, he set the world record in the 400 IM best race. I mean, honest to God, like one of the best races in history was that 400 IM between him and Eric Vent summer mm-hmm. of 2002 in Fort Lauderdale. Look it up. I mean, it's awesome. If you find the, the ESPN footage, you very briefly will see me cheering on the sideline, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's, um, so I, I was working with Bob. I knew I wanted to be a coach. Mm-hmm. Or I was swimming with Bob. I knew I wanted to be a coach. And, you know, I asked him to um, introduce me to college coaches. Mm-hmm. And so actually John Urbanchek at University of Michigan mm-hmm. um, offer, I had a job offer from him to be his graduate assistant. All right. I was going to go get my master's and coach with John. Um, and around October of that year, my senior year, maybe October, November. And, and I started picking up hours coaching 12 and unders with NBAC while I was in my senior year of school. 
and uh, I, I figured it, I was, I was just looking at it and I was like, I can go to Michigan and fill water bottles and be a grad assistant, <laughs> or we got a world record holder right here mm -hmm. and I'm already working for them. And so I went to Bob and I said, is there any way we can make this work where I could be your full-time assistant? Um, and, and I remember he was sitting there, it was very, he was like, like Mr. Burns from the Simpsons, he was doing like this thing and uh -huh. he says, we can do that. Um, and, and yeah, they, I made $20,000 a year for the first three years. I worked every single day, including Christmas day, um, oh, coaching the, as Bob's assistant and doing anything I needed, mm -hmm. anything he needed. Um, I was 22, 23 years old, right out of college. And I was an Olympian and, and world record holder right there. Um, coaching this incredible group. And, um, you know, really I, I asked, right. Uh -huh. like I got the job because I asked, like there mm -hmm. was no other, like I was the luckiest 23 year old coach in the world only because I asked. Yeah. Um, but that, I think what that does though, is that sets you up, you know, when you're exposed to these things, right? So when you coach your first national junior team swimmer, um, you're just infinitely more likely to coach your second than, than you were to coach your first, mm -hmm. right? So this just is like a, you could, because you've seen it before, because you know what it looks like, you know, mm -hmm. because you, you've, you've been there. Um, and so I think that experience is a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've just been very fortunate to have a lot of good experiences and I've, and I've worked very hard, um, to, to be where I am. Um, you know, I liken it to, um, like someone who goes and works on wall street or, or a doctor, mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you go work on wall street and you work 80 hours a week and, and, you know, ruin your early twenties cause you're working so hard mm -hmm. or you're in med school and then residency and you're just like, miserable yeah. constantly. But then, you know, things start getting better and you start like having these skills and like you start, you know, getting to a place in your career where it's not quite like that. I don't know how many swim coaches, you know, approach it that way. How mm -hmm. many, you know, how many 20 year olds who want to be swim coaches approach it that way? I don't know how many 20 year olds there are that want to be swim coaches. But <laughs> I, I was. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I put everything into there it that I could to, yeah. to get there. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what was like some of the differences that you like that you can appreciate from, um, coaching there versus here, like D1 versus D3? Yeah. Well, it's one of the big things that sold me on Hopkins, um, both as an athlete, right? I mean, I made this decision once before. Um, you know, to go to be a division three athlete instead of division one. Um, and, and, and I, I was looking at D one. I mean, Hopkins was the, the main D three that I was even looked at as a school. Not Hope um, College? No, Hope wasn't on my list, <laughs> but Hope had a really good swimmer back when I was swimming, Josh Boss. Oh, yeah. I remember that guy. He was really good. He was great. He was a really mm -hmm. nice guy, too. Mm -hmm. He really shaved his head and he would get it like so shiny. Like he could get his, he'd shave his head so shiny. And he would spend so much time in the tanning bed. He'd show up to NCAAs with an epic tan. He looked great with that tan <laughs> at NCAAs and he, from up north. It made no sense. Yeah. Um, no, but, but uh, no, I, I, I was looking at, you know, the Ivies and, and Hopkins, you know, the, the kind of the usual suspects. Yeah. Maryland had a team at the time. I looked at Maryland, um, UVA, those kind of places. But 
Um, you know, and then now as a coach, you know, coming back, and I interviewed for some some Division One head coach positions at the same time as I was interviewing for this one. And, you know, one of the things, like, you, you got to really remove this D1, D3 thing. Um, okay. Really, that's part of my mission in life is to obliterate that as something that's even talked about. Because if you look at these Hopkins students, and I'm sure it's the same deal at Hope, um, you know, there is absolutely no difference between these guys and the Stanford guys and what they would give to be their best. Um, you know, and if you can just kind of close your eyes and, you know, think 139 in the 200 IM is exactly the same as 144 in the 200 IM. Um, what Evan Holder accomplished uh, to go 144, his experience in doing that was exactly the same as David's experience setting the American record and going 139, right? It, the only difference is on the board. Um, and, and absolutely the, the effort and passion that, that uh, Evan brought to the pool every single day was every bit equal. Um, you know, and so that, that kind of is what drew me back here to Hopkins. Mm -hmm. um, I, I engaged in the, the interview process because George Kennedy, one of the most important men in my life, you know, probably second only to my father, um, he, he, uh, he really asked me to. Um, and, and I don't know that I really intended to come back um, until I was here on campus for the interview and I met the team and I felt their passion after having been at a couple of D1 programs where I didn't feel that passion from the athletes, you know? Mm -hmm. They were asking me about traveling and studying abroad or internships like during the season. And, you know, I was like, what are we talking about? And I got here to Hopkins and, and they were like, this is when you do these things. This is when you swim. This mm -hmm. is how you're committed. This is what balance looks like. Mm -hmm. I think that's an important piece is balance looks different for everybody. Um, and what balance looks like at Hopkins is, you know, people who are just relentless and ruthless at being the very best they can be in all facets of their life. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that's what drew me back. So in relation to that, what was something, what was one of your favorite memories being an athlete at Hopkins that really sold the whole, um, the whole education, the whole experience that made you fall in love with the school? Well, I think the thing that, that, um, that, that I love most about Hopkins, you know, we're, we're the number one research institution in the world. Mm -hmm. Okay. We did like $2.4 billion in research last year. The number two school is the university of Michigan. And they did like $1.8 billion of research. Mm -hmm. That's, that's unbelievable. That's like think about it. Little Johns Hopkins with like 5,000 undergrads is doing $600 million more research than the next closest school. And that's University of Michigan with what, 40,000 undergrads? Mm -hmm. Oh, at least, right? yeah. And so, so if you think about that, if you think about the core, the foundation, of Johns Hopkins University as it began, right, is about research. And it's about knowing things that no one has ever known before. Okay, so if we just set that up as the, the, the primary function of this community is to learn things that, that no one has ever known, um, that requires a certain type of person. 
that requires a person who is, again, relentless and ruthless at being the very best um, and unwilling to compromise their best, um, you know, in, in the pursuit of that. Um, so that's, that's really something that I think is just, it just permeates this place in, in every level. I mean, it's all the way down to the, the gal that swipes your card when you go into the, the, um, the cafeteria. Yeah. She's the best. Mm -hmm. She wants to be the best. Mm -hmm. You know, she's awesome. She really puts time and energy into being the best at that mm -hmm. and welcoming people. I mean, Gladys is awesome. I love Gladys. You know, I mean, that's that's the kind of kind of place that it is. We've got the same. Um, so I can't really distill it to like one. Yeah, I can't distill it to like one specific experience that I had. Um, but that's something that was clearly relayed to me when I was being recruited. It's clearly a part of George Kennedy and who he is. Um, and it's and it's definitely part of our culture, and it goes mm -hmm. way back. It goes back as a, as the university, but also as a you know the swimming program going back to Frank Comfort, um, you know, in the '70s, winning our first national title and and really setting up the program is is a premier. Yeah. So uh, you know, time winding down, we've got just a couple more questions. Um, but what what's next? What does the swim program look like at Hopkins coming out of? this pandemic that hopefully we'll be able to swim soon. Um, what are your goals and aspirations? Kind of give us the lowdown on that. Um, well, we're, we're really a, a different, different school, I guess. I mean, we're, mm -hmm. I, I say it all the time and it's, it starts to get a little bit hackneyed, but we're, we're really unique in that we're, we're not in a conference. Um, and so we really have to work hard at setting up our schedule and our plan. Um, we desperately want to win a national title. I really believe that we can, mm -hmm. a team title, um, both on the men's and men's side. Um, we're bringing in the, the talent, but we're doing it in a very, very different way from any of the previous teams that have won. Um, you look at Kenyon's roster, you look at Dennison's roster, you look at Emery's roster, and they've got, you know, 35, 40 guys on their team. Um, we have 21. Um, we simply can't get people into this school. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the admission standard is just so high. Yeah. Um, number one. And number two, we got a six-lane pool, like six-lane 25-yard pool. We just don't have the space yeah. um, to be able to have all those swimmers. And so, you know, if I'm only going to get four or five guys in a class, I'd better make sure they're the right four or five. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're just doing a very, very different method of getting there. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think that, that when we look at next year, um, we've got to be very careful as a sport. Um, I, you know, I've been trying to talk with as many local coaches um, as we can, teams that are within an hour's drive. Um, I really truly believe that, that we should look into um, some conference realignments. Um, you know, it doesn't make sense for, for teams to be in a conference that that is so widely geographic, you know, all over the place right now. Um, it would really probably make some sense, even even if it's just for a short period of time, maybe a couple years, to kind of realign and stay within an hour. Trying to avoid um, those travel expenses would be mm -hmm. would be wise. Yeah. So we're working on that. Um, but also, you've got to find meaningful competition. Um, you know, you don't. You've got to find teams that that make sense to race. And so we're trying to be really creative in, in setting up our schedule for next year. Um, we're really fortunate um, in that we're right here. We got a lot of good teams really close by. Um, you know, we got Loyola, UMBC, Navy, you know, Delaware is just like an hour and a half up the road. 
Um, you go down to, to DC, it's only 45 minutes to an hour away. So you got Georgetown, GW, American. Um, cool so we've got a lot be. of quality competition nearby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're, we're fortunate um, in that regard, but we've got to get everybody on board to do that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, budgets will contract. Um, yeah. And we need to have a, a really good plan about how we're going to do that. I think every team, every team in the country, every alum in the country really seriously needs to try and think very hard about endowing their programs, um, getting a meaningful endowment. Um, you know, we, we had one started several years ago, but that has to be, um, you know, priority one for everybody right now is get mm-hmm. your endowment going. Um, anything. And, you know, anything that you have in a rainy day fund is you know, <laughs> not endowment. And I mean, if you think about it, just think about like Hope College. If it's a very attractive liberal arts college. And, you know, if you had $1.5 million in the bank in an endowment, that program will never go away. Mm-hmm. It will be untouchable because that's going to kick out enough to pay for a coach. And then that, that coach is going to do what they have to to keep raising for every year's budget or whatever anybody's primary objective right now is thinking about how they're going to do that. Yeah. For sure. So, all you young guys are about to go here forever it's going to be sure it's going to matter mm-hmm. absolutely yeah conference real i mean think we're supposed to be a federal way seattle for ncaa's next year How, does that make sense mm-hmm. like, does that financially make sense i mean the ncaa pays most of that um you know i wonder if that's really going to happen um you know or or maybe we should have two ncaa's you know, an East and a West or an East and a Midwest mm-hmm. um, that can, you know, get a lot more people. You know, you could basically make everybody bus if you did it, if you did like a, an East and a Midwest. Um, maybe just some of those West Coast teams would have to fly to Chicago or somewhere. Um, you know, if we're going to say, we, this has to be on the table. We have to be thinking about this. And if we're not ahead of the curve, we're just going to, we're just going to lose things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no one wants to cut us. No one wants us to, to suffer. Um, but, but what happens is when you go into that conversation um, and you sit down with your AD or your AD is sitting down with the NCAA or, you know, um, you have to have a plan, you know, what's the, and, and we can't wait to set that plan up until after we have to have that plan in place before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's, that's what we need to be working on right now. And I, and I do think we got a lot of great brains that are putting it together. Absolutely. That's sweet. So last couple of things, you know, we have a couple of rapid fire questions that we kind of like to shoot out at the end of our podcast. Right. Um, you can, you can answer these based on your experience as a swimmer, as a coach, just what you prefer. Um, all right, so let's get right into it. Do you prefer AM or PM practices? AM. <laughs> AM. All right. <laughs> um, do you prefer swimming indoors or outdoors? Outdoors all the way. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. Especially like you know, not having to do backstroke all the time, like you were a miler. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I did some four IM too, but I was uh, a terrible yeah. backstroker. Yeah. Uh, favorite day of the week? Hmm. Hmm. Probably Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Why Tuesday? Tuesday. Tuesday, and just the way that our schedule is set up here at Hopkins, if you can get through Tuesday, the rest of the week is easy. So like Tuesday is our hump day. It's just so brutal. Our Monday, Tuesday, just the way our schedule is set up, it just stacks up so much. Um, I like I like the challenge. I like the hard work, and I like getting through it. 
For sure. Uh, favorite race in history to watch? Ooh, Michael Phelps, 200 freestyle in Beijing. Absolutely beautiful. Me I mean, too, that one's uh, fantastic. You, know, you, you watch him swim. What, like really watch him swim. There's a, there's a, at the, at the end in the last 50, when he's the only guy in the frame, he's swimming this modified freestyle. He's submerging underwater on every stroke. There is an oscillation to his stroke that is butterfly. And I think there's something to that. I think there's really think there's something innovative happening there. That's just from a great athlete. Absolutely nuts. Just, yeah, that one's really, really fun to watch. And then even the 2009 um, with the world record and everything, those ones are pretty great too. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's all we got for you. Um, thank you. Yeah, thank yeah, you so much, so much for coming for, yeah, on. Absolutely. Coming on. Um, absolutely. I'm happy to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'd love to uh, keep in touch, and uh, hopefully we can get some more of your swimmers on here as well. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be in touch, and hopefully we can also have your wife on as well. Yeah, yeah, she'd be great. She'd be really great. Um, you should work on it. Yeah, we'll I'll do. Bother. Thanks, Coach. All right. Awesome, guys. Take care. Have a good one. Bye-bye.